Welcome back, everyone, to the Fight Sites MMA podcast, episode 40-something. We're still figuring out how to count. And uh, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Ed Gallo. Ed, how are you doing? Oh, my God. The interloper is Ryan Wagner, another member of our staff, widely considered to be the smartest of us all. So, uh, special guest. It's fine. Yeah, that's the point. I want to look better in comparison to you. (laughs) That's why you set expectations low. I mean... This is a complete mess for the whole thing. <laughs> but, yeah, that was fun. So this is the um, podcast after UFC 259, Adesanya versus Blahovich, which had two notable fights uh, that I bother to remember. Um, the next card is Leon Edwards versus Paul Muhammad, which we're going to talk about in depth. Just that fight, uh, probably some mention on Tucker versus uh, Ige, but nothing in depth on that. And, uh, and then we have a Patreon request on the grappling meta, which I'm going to pass off to someone else. So, let's start with the recap. We have Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion, moving up in what I think many of us thought would be a bit of a layup in Jan Blachowicz, and Jan Blachowicz uh, had some traits that made it somewhat difficult. So, let's start with you, Ed. Uh, What did you take from the fight?
pasta. <laughs> Shout out to Seth, our resident Italian. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have any other specific rates. I think you guys covered it. Uh, Jans? Oh, well, go ahead with questions.
Yeah, I think that's something that we also saw in the Romero fight. It's just that against Romero, um, Izzy was able to just kind of kick through uh, Romero's kick defense, where Romero would like often turn his shin out to check, for instance. And Izzy couldn't really get his punch entries because Romero would just hit him when he entered. But he would still just, you know, stay at range. Romero wasn't as proactive as Jan at scoring at range, you know, the blitzes and the body kicks. So uh, Izzy was able to just, in our opinion, steal a win, uh, in my and Ed's opinion. But, um, yeah, it's an issue that we've seen from Izzy before is that he kind of needs his opponent to take, like, relatively large steps out of position where Jan was kind of, he was playing a parry game with the straight punches and his checks were relatively economical. Uh, one interesting thing that Jan did, I think, like, a couple times is that when uh, Izzy started fainting out that check for the outside leg kick where he draws leg back at the knee, uh, he started turning that into, like, a, a lead leg teep, which was weird, but it was also, like, kind of sensible because he could just, like, do the check and then just go right into it since it was fake and keep Izzy from entering in on punches uh, off the feint. So Jan had a bunch of thoughtful elements to his game in this fight. It's just that, like, it had the same sort of odd jank that we're used to seeing from him. Um, it just kind of worked because I think another thing about Izzy is that, like, uh, going up to light heavyweight... He's still not really at like a meaningful size disadvantage when it comes to the striking. He's like he's really wiry and he's not super strong for the division, but he's still like he was taller and longer than Jan, which I think kind of showed that at size parity, he's a little bit less comfortable with his defense. Uh, the longer jabber was able to get him leaning back and catch him on the end of those left kicks, as Ryan mentioned. And it's just something where like at middleweight, he was pretty much always at a range advantage, so he could angle off pretty easily. Another interesting thing is that. Um, if you compare Jan Blachowicz with someone who I consider a pretty inarguably better jabber in Robert Whitaker, Whitaker had to like cover a lot of distance with the jab, uh, which kind of gave Izzy, like you could even see in the finishing sequence of the Whitaker fight, that Izzy was able to like angle off while Whitaker's weight was committed, where Jan could just throw it away and still reach Izzy from kicking range, which is something that I think troubled uh, Izzy a little bit. Like even when it came to the blitzes, as Ryan mentioned, it wasn't like a thing that Izzy does consistently to counter, but where he was able to counter the jab of Whitaker eventually uh, by angling off and catching him in the exchange, Jan didn't really have to concede that at all. Uh, so, yeah, I'd agree. Izzy's not really, like, an overrated striker, but it's not... Jan fought about as smart a fight as uh, you could expect to take a lot of his tools away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
what's there to talk about? Yeah, 200. Yeah, I don't have anything to add on the wrestling. Um, it was, I think, in general, Adesanya relies on like the initial momentum of the uh, of the scramble or the clinch entry more than being able to create it out of thin air, which is true of basically anyone. But you could even see in like Adesanya's more impressive bottom performances, by which I mean Calvin Gastelum, pretty much flowed in, like immediately off the submission attempt to like the triangle. It wasn't really anything where he was able to survive getting locked down, uh, which was kind of the issue here. Like the weight's one thing, but also the lack of uh, a system from the bottom. The segue. <laughs> the Bantamweight champion of our hearts. I don't really care.
No problem.
Yeah, um, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think the interesting thing with the fight was that um, Aljo being unable to wrestle kind of forced him into a bit of a paradoxical situation. So, as we, I mentioned before the fight, I'm not as well-versed in uh, Yen's wrestling as Ed is, and Yen said that Yen might be able to, uh, or Ed mentioned that Yen might be able to out-wrestle Sterling. Uh, but I did figure that Yen's clinch would be a lot of trouble for Sterling to deal with, especially in terms of getting body locks. And I think we saw that like from the very first minute of the fight, where Sterling tried a clinch entry and Yen just like teleported to his wrist and threw him off with like ease. That's pretty much why I figured that um, Yen would win the fight, or at least like win it at a high clip, assuming he didn't just get his back taken randomly in a clinch exchange, is that Yen knows what he's doing here. He wants to cut off Sterling's clinch exchanges at like the first step without letting him like get to a good position immediately. So... We saw some variants of that through the whole fight, but since Aljo couldn't really leverage his wrestling, he could really only push Yen back when he was actively throwing. That is, he couldn't actually pressure Yen. He had to work in these big, energy-intensive flurries when he couldn't really box, which means that he had to keep um, varying his attack, which is why like a lot of people were uh, being like kind of mad at Sterling for looking flappy and weird through the whole fight and throwing a bunch of bullshit. Uh, the spinning back fist was one thing, or the spinning elbow, one of those... Uh, that people were like, why is Aljo doing that? He wasn't doing that before. And I think the issue was that uh, Yen was getting the counters pretty easily when he came in with the throwaway jab. And especially later in the fight, Aljo really just needed to occupy him. So he started, you know, jabbing him back. And as soon as something happened, he was throwing the body kick or he was throwing the spinning elbow. And it was just something to keep Yen backing up. The issue was that he couldn't keep pressuring like that because he was also at a cardio disadvantage. Uh, this is something that we saw in the Munoz fight where Munoz was, yeah, hitting his body a lot. Yen started doing that later. But... It's just not a point. Uh, um, a, it's just not a point of strength in Aljo's game the way it was in Yen's, where Yen would just consistently build pace throughout a fight, where Aljo could go hard for a couple rounds, but also slowed down pretty meaningfully against Munoz. So the issue was that Aljo couldn't really fight Yen on the back foot. Yen was doing a nice job entering in with the body hook and pressuring generally, but he also couldn't push him back without expending energy like the most that he possibly could. So it turned into Aljo trying really hard to intercept with wrestling, failing over and over again, getting smashed on the bricks and doing it again. Uh, one thing I really enjoyed was how Yan started countering the kicks, or at least dealing with the kicks, and that was with that cross check, where he'd uh, raise up his lead leg, uh, and where his high guard was occupied by the throwaway jab, but then instead of just dropping his guard to uh, get hit in the head with the throwaways, he just started raising his lead leg, checking the body kick, and just keep going. I think he turned that into a few kick catches, which was really nice. Uh, all of that turned into uh, Yen's wrestling game, the foot sweeps, the kick catches into the uh, the takedowns. And in general, Yen just smashed Aljo in the transitional space. So it was a really entertaining performance from him all the way until he turned out to be just as stupid in real life as he was smart in the fight world.
Way too little mercy. He needs... Yeah, I think Yan asked me. <laughs> but, yeah, minimal amount of mercy as prescribed by the rules is his new nickname. I mean, I think the thing is that Aljo deserved a title reign before this for beating Sanhagen. So it kind of sucks to go from, like, the best non-champion to the worst champion. Like, that's a bad trade. But, I mean, it's a good trade in terms of money, but it's also a bad trade if you care about legacy because, like, the bad champions get remembered worse. But, you know, he deserved the, the title, so at least he gets that on the to his name. However, silly. It's cursed. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the way Bantamweight works is that, like, no champion can ever have a meaningful fight. So, yeah, I mean, you'll go back to Cruz. Um, Cruz drops it because of injury, Barrow, and then TJ. And then, T like, the most legitimate title reign that's happened was TJ beating a Sun Sound Lineker when he was not champion. <laughs> well, Cruz was fighting fucking Garbrandt and Faber 3. That's, like, that was not a title reign. Eventually. A fever dream. Yeah. Cody got Chemayeft. That was, yeah, nasty. Straight up ragdolled him. He, like, spiked him on his head from the um, waist lock, too. Like, in the first round, it was weird.
you know, it's probably going to be like Aljo Sanhagen 2 or something, and Jan's going to lose just randomly for no reason. Oh, yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> Jan just brings a syringe into the cage and injects him mid-fight. Oh. Yeah, he started front headlocking Aljo later in the fight. It was pretty nice.
mean, I think it's also at a point where okay, no, no problem. Um, it's I think it's also at a point where Jan's game is built to punish the kind of volume shooting that Alja does. Like we talked about, or Ed rather talked about the difference between like being a defensive wrestler and an anti wrestler, and Jan's become in the Alja fight a pretty nasty anti wrestler in terms of dissuading the wrestling. Uh, it's not that he doesn't wrestle or like take people down, but it's more that if someone tries to wrestle him, he's just immediately there with the clinch, controlling the wrist and like killing them for doing it. So even if Aljo had the cardio to like keep up that plan and keep shooting bad doubles and trying to push him to the uh, to the fence with like sloppy singles, it wouldn't really pan out for him just because uh, every time he got to the fence, he would just hit him a lot. It's just uh, it's not really a path. Yeah, I remember that. Uh 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone has a particularly good chance, like, com uh, given this competition at the weight, I don't think I'd pick anyone in, like, a straight five-round decision over Yan. He's just way too good at building and adapting through a fight, which is why, like, the guys that I'd pick to maybe cause him danger are, like, the ones who might just dump at the beginning of the fight. And that was one threat that Aljo had. Like, Aljo's win condition here, in retrospect, and even going in for me, was a submission in round one. Uh, because it just be Yan is shocked by the pressure uh, early, the same way Sanhagen was. Yan is slightly worse at wrestling than we thought he was, or like Sterling gets to a position and just chokes him out before Yan can do anything. Yeah, and that's the thing. Exactly. Yeah, the win condition just wasn't there whatsoever, which is weird, but it's also something that like Sterling can't really work around. So it's. Uh, it's a tough sit. Like, even, I don't know if there's, like, a moment where Sterling can win this fight unless he just literally teleports onto Jan's back in in a rear naked choke. It's just not really something that he can systematize, if that makes sense. And then that just didn't happen. And then we saw. <laughs> I mean... I'm getting because Aljo beat several fighters I like more, and I guess he technically just beat another one, but not really, so. 
or Jimmy Rivera and Stan Hagen. Oh, well, no, Asunsa beat him. He did. He did indeed. I'm pretty sure he did. I watched a round of it, and then I gave up, but Asunsa won that round. So. <laughs> like, he... So, yeah, the one round that I saw, Asunsa just, like, punched him four times, and then both of them just kicked at range, like, ten times. <laughs> but yeah, who cares? I somehow won. I don't care. The goat, the best ever. Correct. He is Walter Wade of Sunsau. How about that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> he's he's too young to be Walter Widow Samsa. You're welcome. No. I mean that's not that's also not true. It's just it's a segue. Um
Yeah, <laughs> I thought you were going to wait for one of us to answer that, but the, that's the correct answer. Um, yeah, in his last fight, I mean, I don't think Bilal's the kind to like really pressure guys if they don't want to be pressured. Neil is like a natural outfighter, really, and um, Bilal just got pressured by him, so it's not really a thing. But yeah, Leon's uh, delightful. At range, he's mostly a southpaw double attacker where he uh, plays the straight left off the um, the body kick and the head kick, which is how he nearly killed one of those jobbers. Um, but it's a really cool game. He does it a lot. Uh, we saw him against another southpaw. Yeah, Cerrone was one. Cerrone was pretty much a showcase of his entire game. It's just a, that's mostly because Cerrone's liable to everything that Leon does and also everything that any good fighter does. So... Nah, it was actually in one of his early UFC fights. Yeah, that was actually very necessary. But yeah, that's uh, Leon's game. We saw him against another Southpaw, which is a challenge that Southpaws tend to look kind of bad in. But RDA is one of the worst matchups for him on paper, and Leon looked very good uh, in the pocket. He did a nice job jabbing with RDA, and RDA Southpaw jab is very good. Um, he built off that into combinations. He did this one really nice thing where he drew out RDA's counter with the jab and then hooked off it into, uh, into a left hand which is the kind of depth that you don't tend to see in southpaw double attackers who are very reliant on the open stance uh, traditionally. So it's a it's a very weirdly deep game. Uh, in terms of his... I agree that his ring craft is really bad. One thing that he does uh, interestingly is that compared to that, his ability to turn his opponent in exchanges is actually really good. Uh, that's how he beat um, Cerrone in a lot of these exchanges. So Cerrone, as we know, would kind of sprint forward uh, in his blitzes. He'd like started with the right hand of the body and try to turn that into combinations. And Leon kind of made him look like a fool for doing it for like all of th uh, for like three whole rounds, uh, where he'd break the line of attack and hit him with like the rear hook, or he'd threaten the counter while he's circling off, and Sony would just be a, a sitting duck if Leon decided to pull the trigger. So there are a lot of interesting things there. As Ryan mentioned, the clinch entries are really important. There's this one sequence against Cerrone uh, where um, Leon would um, do that long guard that Ryan mentioned, and then he just grabbed the back of Cerrone's head off it um, as he was behind his shoulder and just elbowed him three times before pushing him away at an angle. So it was, there were some really slick moments from Leon in pretty much every fight, even the one that he lost against Usman. So that's kind of... I think the thing with the Bilal fight is that Bilal's also kind of really liable to everything that Leon does. Uh, it, the fight that I'd point to there is Jeff Neal. Uh, Neal is a lot less good at things that aren't the southpaw double attack, uh, and he was able to cause uh, Bilal a lot of grief with that, playing the straight left off the, the left head kick, and both of those panned out in the third round. Uh, Neil started beating him on clinch breaks, which is a really bad sign against uh, Leon Edwards, who's really good at manufacturing those uh, exchanges where he's able to create, uh, manufacturing those exchanges where he beats guys on clinch breaks, especially with that position he uses with the wizard, the head position, and the bicep control, where he uh, pretty much controls their position entirely, angles off to one side, and just elbows them in the head. So it's a tough fight for Bilal. I mean, he's going to have to pressure without getting drowned in the clinch, and Leon's pressurable, but he's also, as we saw against RDA, who's a better pressure fighter than Bilal. Uh, he can just grab them and turn them to the fence and start screwing them up in the clinch. So, uh, yeah, all things considered, Leon should win pretty handily. Bilal's fun.
G off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we also saw in the Lima fight, I don't know if you caught that, but I mean, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't because Lima's not that good. But uh, Limo was able to get the calf kick off pretty freely, even under pressure against Bilal. Uh, and also, Bilal couldn't wrestle him. Both of those are pretty bad because, uh, like, the one thing with Leon, we've seen him get wrestled, but by Kamaru Usman, who's just a monstrously powerful, monstrously skilled uh, cage wrestler. And Bilal couldn't really make that work against a guy who's both bad at cage wrestling and not as athletic as Leon Edwards. So uh, I don't think that's quite a route. The pressure is going to be tough, and um, the kicking is... We saw in the open stance, even in the close stance, like, Bilal's just not very good at dealing with kicks. He just kind of marches through them. Nah, he's unorthodox. Yeah, that makes it worse for him. But, at, at least with the kicking. I mean, Bilal, uh, Leon would probably box him off if, if it was southpaw too, but it's just, uh, it's a rough fight. Like, I think we saw in the Neil fight that Bilal was eventually able to find ways around uh, the Neil matchup in ways, like in the second round particularly, he'd be able to start drawing out um, Neil's high guard, and punching him in the body, but that's not really a thing that Leon does. Uh, Leon's more prone to catching clinches when guys start throwing punches away or just controlling the distance well enough that they'd have to cover distance, and then he could catch them in the clinch and elbow them. So it's uh, it's a tough fight. It's like all the stuff that Neil does to give him trouble and none of the stuff that Neil does to give Bilal opportunities. <laughs> uh, sure. No. Looking absolutely Swedish.
throwback. Ha, <laughs> 
mean, I better back off some middleweight now. Out of camp. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything. As I said at the beginning, I'm not the grappling person. And you guys mentioned all the obvious stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, if we're just talking about Peter Young versus Aljamain Sterling again, the part where he counter-kicked him and then Asoto guarded him just immediately, just on the entry counter-kicked, and then just chokeslammed him. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be Aldo, now it's Peter Young. Yeah, why not? <laughs> All this brain power, yeah. <laughs> As they say, no mercy. I mean, yeah. Like, no quarter is technically illegal under the Geneva Convention, so it, it checks out. I agree. Yeah. And we were as smart as ever.
Wait, I'll tell you what they are. A Sansa font number one, a Sansa Sterling number two. I can't think of any others. Oh, no, Sun Samurai's one. The greatest hits the Sansa took. That's kind of silly. That can be a bonus. I mean, the one we did on this one was pretty new, so props to us. No, I'm all good. Um, I don't really do that many things anymore, but I'm going to try to do some things. with interest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the thing where I was too mean to John Jones, and he thought that Ryan would be nicer to John Jones. I know, I tried to, like, because we had him at, like, number seven, so I was like, okay, we have to justify why he's at number seven by being, like, Moderate, but Ryan would have just been like, no, this guy should not be decided. Yeah, um, thanks for every thanks to everyone for joining us. We're gonna save it now. So uh, three, two, one. <laughs>